several places. Why don't you all go to Matthew 26 and then John 21. And you can hang out and wait for me there. Does anybody have any prayer requests? We need to pray for the Murphy family. Dick Murphy made his home going. So they are, and um, Dick's wife, Linda, tested positive for COVID. So that adds a wrench to um, funeral plans, obviously. So they're trying to sort through all those issues as well. Um, and who else? Seems like I had another one, but I can't remember right now. We'll start with y'all. Who, what? Loopy, of course, that Loopy Rosas that, with the, the lung cancer. And Kitty Murdoch. Doug needs prayer. Yes, and he's continuing with, I mean, with his heart issue. Okay, yes, well, go ahead. Yep. Praise the Lord. That's good. I mean, it's great to see uh, prayers that have been prayed for years start to come to fruition. That's excellent. Who? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Michael. Yeah, talk to your parents. Good, good, good. Praise the Lord. That's, that's excellent. Who else? Prayer requests? Praise report. Yes. Okay. Tony? Okay. Who else? Yes, Tony. Hmm. Hmm. This is your neighbor. New neighbor to you, right? Yeah. Let's pray for them. Who else? Let's pray. Father. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. We just need, we need this, we need the thing of the past, right? I know, we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that you 
are the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that you not only know, but you know how, Lord God. And we pray, Father, that every need that was mentioned, Lord God, that you would undertake by your grace and your mercy, Lord God. We pray against cancer in the name of Jesus. We ask, Lord God, that you would bring the right scenario, the right situation, Lord God, where your spirit can be released, Lord God, and the, and the cancerous cells can be rebuked in the name of Jesus. We take authority over every, every diabolical scheme of the enemy and we rebuke it now in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, for those persons who mention loved ones, friends, neighbors, co-workers, Lord. I ask that you would touch them, that you would strengthen them, that you would bless them, Lord. I pray that you would give guidance. We give you praise, Lord God, for answered prayer, Lord God. Let 2021 be a year of reconciliation, Lord God, in families and homes, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be such people of peace, Lord God. Let us know who we are in you today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we were talking last week about the ships of Tarshish going to Ophir to get gold and that they wrecked where? Do y'all remember the name of the place? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Ebon Gezer. Yeah, and that means the, pl- the land, where the roost- land of the rooster. And so we liken that. We liken that. Now, I won't go back over all that because we've got a lot of territory to cover today. But we liken that when we said it was the land of, of the rooster. We talked about the ships of Tarshish being so much maybe our sailing vessels. Ships of Tarshish are a reoccurring ship that you'll find in the Word of God. It just means a seafaring vessel. It's a large vessel made for, lar- for long journeys. You know, it's not a canoe. It's not, it's not some paddle board or, or a little a John Deere boat. It is a vessel that's made for a long journey and to retrieve something. Through Solomon's reign, he sent the ships of Tarshish to Ophir three to four times a year to get gold. To, what did he bring the gold back for? Y'all know? Well, he had a big building project that took him 20 years. He had a temple and he had his, the, the king's palace interestingly enough, and he brought those things back. And Solomon was the most, during Solomon's reign, it's when, the, when Israel actually had possessed its borders, I believe, for the first time and had all of what God had, pla- had promised for them. But these ships, it said, in one area of kings, another king was going to send them. I think it was Jehoshaphat, and they, they crashed at Ebon Gezer, and they never made the journey. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, that is so much like us, that how many times have we set out on a John 10.10b mission? You know, not a John 10.10a, you know, for the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. That's A. How many of us have lived that one? Well, probably all. If you're not, you're lying, right? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I, Jesus said, have come that you might have what? And have it how? Well, see, that sounds like a great promise to me. That's the gold, isn't it? How many times have you set out sail in your ship of Tarsus? You had the vessel to make the journey, but you wrecked in the land where the rooster crows, in the land of the rooster. Dad gum. You know, and when we thought about the rooster, then what did we automatically think about last week? Who do we automatically think of? Oh, Peter, right? You know, we like to give him a hard time, but I'm glad he's in the Word with all of his foibles and all of his victories and all of his failings because if he weren't, then we wouldn't be able to see ourselves there. Because if God only included the perfection, then where would we find ourselves? We would find like this, we would think this was a book that had nothing to do with us. So here we see Peter, and we're going to take a little look at Peter today. And I'm going to talk about, it came up in our conversation last week and kind of stuck with me. So we're going to talk about this week, 
Identity is everything. And the Holy Spirit leads us and teaches us and trains us to understand our identity in Christ. I believe what we have in the church today, it's not a miracle problem. It's not a power problem. It's not a resource problem. The gold's an offer. You know what I mean? It's there. What we have in the church today, we have an identity crisis. An identity crisis. Now, I looked up yesterday just because I was interested on, um, it's a word that popped in my head, and it's, this is how God deals with me. This is how God speaks to me. It gives me vocabulary words. Probably doesn't happen to you. It may. If you're a word nerd like me, see, the Lord knows how to speak language to you. We were in prayer yesterday, and the, this phrase popped in my head as I was sitting over there praying, <clears throat> self-actualization. I thought, what does that mean? So I pulled it up. And it just has to do with identity. It's like God is so smart. See, that in psychological terms is, that is the, the greatest, if you go to a counselor, you know what they're trying to bring you to? Self-actualization. It is the place where you have accepted your, uh, uh, Melissa, my line? That's, see, she's a, she's a counselor. See, I was, I'm glad, you know, I wish she'd have been outside. I like I had to run it by her now. But see, that's the place, what they're wanting to bring you to is a place where you know who you are, and you know your value, and you know what, what you can do and what you can't do. That you're, that you're self-actualized. You know, it's so sad to see people who are so delusional about who they are. Now, that falls on both sides, doesn't it? Have you ever seen somebody who's so delusional about, they live in like a fantasy world? And you're like, are you on planet Earth with me? And they're not. They're not. They will completely isolate themselves from anybody who tries to break their disillusionment of their fantasy of who they think they are. You always see these people living isolated. But then you have the other side of person who, who, who they are. You find them, and they are so unaware that they are, they're downtrodden. They're, they're, they're lower than a snake's belly. See, pride and insecurity are exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. See, I like to think of it like this. Pride runs clockwise around self. And insecurity just runs counterclockwise around self. See, the problem is still the same, isn't it? What is it? It's self in the center, isn't it? So, now the world's going to bring you to self-actualization in many ways, but I'm not going to. I don't, I'm not trying to be a psychologist nor a counselor to you, but I will give you the word of God. We have the greatest counselor who's known as the Holy Spirit, and he will lead us to self-actualization. The problem is, in this journey of self-actualization, where we're going for the golden offer, what we're going to have to accomplish is, and this is the journey of a lifetime, sometimes, depending upon how stubborn or compliant, you may or may not be. How many of you say, yeah, I'm pretty stubborn? Well, come on now. How many of you have, look at that, she's got, got her hand up. <laughs> you just own it. You're self-actualizing, Andrea. <laughs> it starts with honesty of knowing who you are. How many of you can be pretty stubborn? Yeah, see, when I said you're pretty stubborn, you didn't want to really, you didn't really want to own that. But all of us can be. And the Holy Spirit is moving us from a place where self is in the center, that's anthropocentric, right? We've used that word several times, to a place where who needs to be in the center? And I'm telling you, you are, your flesh and self is so tricky. So tricky. Lord, you'll get the glory. But there's always this little running operative going on, and I'll get the glory too. 
And you don't say that because you're smarter than that. And you don't even know it sometimes because you're not self-actualized enough to even know how much you want the glory. But God knows, and the Holy Spirit knows, and he loves you enough to stay with you on the journey, and he'll say, well, it's going to take another furnace. Right? How many of you have been through a furnace or two in your life? You go to that furnace, and how many of you have known? Now, y'all are all old-ish. Oh, then we have different levels of old in here, don't we? Experienced, right? I know that I'm talking to enough people in here. We've got, well, except we've got one little youngster over here. <laughs> Let's, we can throw rocks at her later. Okay, so we have, what we have is we have in our life, how many of you have journeyed long enough to know that you have encountered the exact same furnace over and over and over again? You know what I mean? Like, you leave a place because you didn't like it for whatever reason, whatever struggle was there, and you go to the next place only to find the exact same struggle, but just different faces and different names. Yes, Tawana. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is so true. I learned years ago, but not successfully, I learned it early on, but then I found out that there are certain places that I'm just still stubborn. That when I'm taking a test, I want to pass it in a hurry. I want to pass it the first time. You know why? Retakes are terrible. It's always harder the next time. It really, really is. So when I'm, when I'm in a, a struggle, and this is how I learned to discern this years ago. Normally, it's when I don't like someone. But I'm in a situation where I have to be with that person. I mean, I can't not be with that person without undergoing total failure. You know what I'm talking about? And so here, <clears throat> so it's either deal with this person or fail. And those become, that's how you know you're in a furnace. It becomes very binary, right? Do or die. And so, you know, that's, that's it. And so here you are. That's how you know, yep, this be a furnace. And so what's the purpose of the furnace? Anybody know? If you just, what is it? Refine. Who's being refined? Yeah, it's not the, your adversary in the situation. You want to kill them and you think, it'll, but you'll just go to another furnace and your next adversary will be tougher than this one. Every time. So I have learned, I've learned, stubborn Andrea, I think it's the name, right, Andrea? It's an, I, I, I've learned to step back and go, okay, this looks like a place I've been several times in my life. I don't like this person. This is do or die. I'm going to be a failure. I can't kill. You know, I go through my options. And then I have to step back into the game and I have to say, Lord, this is me, isn't it? This is not them. This is me. And I sadly have left those situations only to have the seven times harder, harder ones and wished for the situation I was in. So, but what I have found, I have found to process through it like that, saying, Lord, there's a blessing in this. There's a blessing in this. I have seen <clears throat> some relationships a person I didn't like. Now, there was a person in my life I didn't like from the time I was 15. I didn't even know them. Now, that's funny, right? I didn't like them. 
didn't, I just met them from a distance, but decided, sized them up, decided I did not like them at all. Only to find out <clears throat> later on they would be an integral part of my life. How funny God is. And then they were an integral part of my life, and had I not, see, I can't be specific because this is recorded. See, so I'm being very crafty here. So had I not used my paradigm for saying, Lord, <clears throat> Lord, this is not them, it's me, and there's a blessing in this, I would have missed the greatest relationship of my life, the greatest the things that would have been eliminated had I eliminated myself from the person I did not think I liked would have been catastrophic. So instead of wrecking at the land of the rooster and being self-protective and self-isolating and self-promoting and self-guiding and self-supporting, and all the self you can put in front of, instead of doing that, I <clears throat> submitted to the process of the furnace and I found the purity of the gold. And I look back, and so I've used that as a touchstone in my life to say, every time it, I feel, there, see, there, there are always characteristics of those same furnaces. You know what I'm talking about? And when I'm in that same situation again, see, some of you, you've never even submitted to yourself to the process one time, so you don't know what I'm talking about because you're so stubborn and you're so pig-headed and you're so insecure, be it pride or just self-hatred, that you feel like everything is an attack on you and you're going to be diminished and not supported. And so you run and you exit and you blow up and you blow out and you, you, just, you just you ditch and you show them how much you can accomplish on your own and you won't submit to the process and there you are. You isolate yourself further. And you never actually find the golden ophir. Because you won't. You won't. You stand on your own rights you stand there and say, I'm right, I have a right to be heard, I have a right to be felt, I have a right to be this, I have a right, I have a right, I have a right, I have a right. My point is as valid as yours. Okay. And you blow up that bridge, you burn that bridge, but what you've also burned is the extraordinary amount of resource that God had positioned you to receive there and you never even knew it. And then you're like, Lord, I want life and life more abundantly. And he says, no, you don't. You won't ever make the journey to Ophir. You want to do it if you're driving the ship and you're calling the shots and you're dropping anchor wherever you think it's supposed to. And if the steward's bringing you hot drinks on the deck, <clears throat> but you don't ever want to be uncomfortable. Oh, no. You don't ever want to be fearful. You don't ever want to feel like you're going into deep waters that you've never navigated before. But that's where the gold is at. And that is the process, folks, of getting self from the center. If you don't like the process, don't say you want a John 10, 10 B life. You'll settle for John 10, 10 A. The thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. 
Now, see, that's okay. You're like, that's great. Now, Peter. We use Peter. So we're going to go with Peter here. And I'm going to read to you. Um, okay, so identity is everything. The question is, who am I? Who am I? The answer to that question is, who's the am I? That's the answer to it. John 17 and 3. I'm going to pull that up real quick and just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. We'll move fast. No. John, I'm going to go to John 17 and 3. No, it's over here. I've got my Bible apps. I've got online. I've got stuff going everywhere and don't know where it's at. Here it is. John 17 and 3 says, for this is eternal life. Okay, wait a minute. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. We're fixing to define eternal life. Y'all all listening? How many of y'all want eternal life? Really? Really? Yes, you do. I know you do. That's abundant life. This, this is Jesus. Now, this is Jesus' definition. So, is it up for debate? No, he ought to know. He came from eternity. This is eternal life. That you get everything you want when you want it. It's not there, is it? Okay, here we go. This is eternal life, that they may know you. That's a capital U. That they may know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is the source of our eternal, what is eternal life for us? That we may, what? Know God. You see, now this is, the, this, is the big, this is the big delivery. Jesus was the word of God. He came to do what? He came to image forth the Father. Image forth. The word became flesh. The word, the word of God, if you hear, I told the story in the sanctuary. I'll tell it again really quickly. I was walking up North Mountain on a, about 5.30 in the morning on a foggy summer day, and the sun had not risen yet, me and a girlfriend of mine. And we were walking up, and it was like 5.30, and it was pitch black. And you know when the, there's a foggy day, and it's real insulated? You know, when you talk, the fog creates an insulatory effect, so you really can't even hear beyond that. So we were like in this little insulated fog, and we were walking up the mountain, and there's no, no lights on the mountain at all. And so we're making those steep inclines, and we know we've walked it so many times. It's just, it's just it's straight up, and we're walking that, and we're talking, chit-chatting, and you know how women do. You know, and so, well... Out of the darkness, we hear a voice that says, Ladies, don't let me scare you. <laughs> you know, it didn't work. His, you know, but it was a man, obviously, he was coming the other direction, and he wanted to identify himself in the darkness, right? And so that's how God does. See, light, we're in our darkened situation because sin has brought an obscure vision of the Father. Sin has blinded who the Father is to humanity, and humanity is living. We're walking in darkness, and we're, we're inventing our own concepts of who God is. And so God sent his son Jesus, and he used his word, just like that man used his word to identify his presence. See, Jesus is the identified presence of the Father, so what you see in Jesus, it is the Father. See, Jesus didn't come to be the good cop so God could continue to be the bad cop. God didn't beat the hell out of his son so he didn't have to beat it out of you. See, we have this idea. Jesus goes, no, Father, no, Father, kill me, don't kill them. This is what Western fundamental religion has taught people, that God is always perpetually mad. 
Amen. You better live it right. You better do it right. You better wear it right. You better hold your mouth just right. You have to get saved every Sunday because you're such a devil all week long. Has anybody lived her? Oh, you said, that's why your son had a hard time swallowing that, didn't he? So eternal life is this, to reveal who you really are. So the source to who am I? I'm in this darkness trying to discover who am I? God said the only way that we can solve that problem is for you to know who's the I am. And so we look at that, and then I go to 17 and 6, and I'll read that. I have revealed your name. His name is his worth, his conduct, his character. To the men whom you have given me out of the world, they are yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And we look at this, and we see that in our life, who we are, what we are, where we are, why we are, when we are, how we are, all of these things are wrapped up in who Christ is and moving self from the center and putting Christ in the center. Jesus said it so wonderfully well. More, come on, it's me, it's me. Okay, here, I'm going to read this real quickly to you. Mark 9. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple... We got any of those takers? Who wants to be his disciple? Okay, here's the, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Okay, who has to move? You have to, what do you have to do with self there? What do you have to do with self there? So when you don't like that person, and you're in that situation, and it feels like the same thing you've gone through time and time and time again, what's your answer with self? Do you support self? Do you, do you promote self? Do you remove self from the situation and, and protect self? What do you do with self? Tell me what to do with self. Deny. Self says, do this. They're mean. They don't deserve that. And what do you tell self? Shut up. You've never led me to gold. I've always shipwrecked. Listening to your voice. Okay, so here, here we go. Matthew 10. Jesus said this a lot. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. How many of you want to find life? What do you got to lose? Self-life. This is super simple, y'all. It's real hard to live, though. Okay. Matthew 16 says it again. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, who wants to save their life, will lose it. But whoever wants to lose their life, for me, will find it. So salvation of life is in losing your life. See, it's that, it's that paradigm of, of, what is it, an oxymoron. It's, self has got to be removed from the center of your life if you want to find out who you are, what you are, where you are, why you are, when you are, how you are. If you want to get to the place of self-actualization where you actually know peace in your life, this is the journey. How many of you would love to live your life where you just did not have to think about what others were thinking about you? Do you know how tiring that is for people? I mean, I 
assume you're thinking great of me all the time. You say, well, Andrea, you're full of pride. No, I'm not. It's called a healthy mindset. Because for me to think that you're thinking bad of me is I'm putting negative things, I'm accusing you of being a bad person to war. You see what I'm doing there all the time? How many people live their life like this all the time? Every word they say goes through the filter of, I wonder what they're thinking about me. Have you ever met a person who constantly apologized for everything they just said? <sighs> it's so tiring. If you're that person, I'm sorry. Stop doing it. You know what I mean? Don't drag me in. Don't try to put a hook in my jaw and constantly have to make me go, oh, it's all right. Oh, it's all right. I just wanted that person. I want to go, would you shut up? You see what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, they, and people say that, oh, I'm just, I'm just humble. No, you're not. It's counterclockwise. It's insecurity. And people have used that. People all the time tell me, all the time, especially women. I don't know why women have thought this is okay. I'm just really insecure. Like it's okay to say that. And see, y'all don't even, y'all all think that, see, that's what's sad, is that we have been taught by society that that is somehow an asset. I'm just really insecure. Well, you may be really insecure, but number one, don't profess it. Don't, don't own it and put it on others to deal with it. That's what you're doing when you're saying that. Cindy, I'm really insecure. I'm going to give it to you. And you always have to be in charge of my insecurity, okay? Don't say anything that makes me uncomfortable. Don't feel anything. Don't look at me wrong. And you're in charge. I told you I was insecure. You see how that's self-protection? Mm. It's not. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, as you said. It's thinking of yourself less. Absolutely. And you're just professing that all the time. I am secure in Christ Jesus. Deborah. Yes. So I'm not insecure. I am secure in Christ. I may face fearful circumstances, but I am not afraid. And if I am afraid, I will face my fear and not listen to that liar until my fear is turned into confidence because I have seen the strong support of a God who cannot fail. See, that's how we have to do it. Now, as we look at Peter, I told you we would get there. Peter, Peter 26, Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and we're going to read here. I'm going to read this really quickly. You're going to know the scriptures. Is this right? Uh-huh. Matthew 26, 33. But Peter replied to him, Though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, <laughs> before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I must die. I mean, the... Jesus is speaking nothing but truth to him. I mean, we have a live in a land where a lot of people get prophetic words. You know, and there seems to be a new rule that you can't give a negative prophetic word. If you've read the Bible, you will hardly ever see a prophet fluffing you up. I mean, so here, would we say Jesus is a prophet? Can we all agree with that? <laughs> yeah. And so what was his... 
Peter, I got a word for you. You're going to deny me three times before the night has ended. What does Peter say? Even if I must die with you, Peter says, I will never deny you. And so said all the disciples. But Jesus knows. So then we go to 69. I just want to pick up the story. With I'm going quickly through this. 69 in the same chapter. Mm. Nope. 26, I have 69. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Nope. Thank you, gosh. See, my nose runs when I talk. My Kate said, he's like, why do you have to sniff the whole time you're talking? Because you want me to run, it's not run down my face? Uh, where's it at where the women, where, you know, he's at the, why did I get, I wrote this down wrong. Where is it? 69 and what? Okay, I just couldn't see it. Okay. I need y'all. That's why if y'all weren't here, hey, if you were not here this morning, I would just be spinning in circles. I would think the Bible had been rewritten. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting in the courtyard. A servant girl came over to him and said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, a servant girl. But he denied it before anyone, before everyone saying, I don't don't know what you're talking about. And when he went into the porch, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus, the Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, an oath, with an oath. So what did he say? I swear, I don't know the guy. And then here we go again. A little while later, some of the bystanders approached Peter and said to him, Surely, you're one of them too. Your accent gives you away. That's funny, isn't it? His accent. Then he began to curse and to swear on an oath. Blankety blank blank golly, you bunch of lit liquors. I told you. I told you. I don't know the man. Right then, a rooster crowed. And Peter reminded himself of the word Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went away and wept bitterly. Man, how many of you thought you were all that, only to turn out to be not quite? So we have here, though, you know, that, that's so much of how we sometimes live our lives. It's, it's not when everything is good we, we fail. It's when things go bad we fail. It's in the furnace that we fail because we don't really know what's in us. And so then we see in John 21, Jesus is at, sees Peter after his resurrection. And John's the only one who records this. And in John 21, he tells, he cooks a breakfast, and Peter's out fishing, right? And when, when Jesus called Peter, what did he say to him? Who remembers that? Who can just quote that from memory or, you know, just paraphrase it? When Jesus called Peter, what was one of the things he told him he was going to do? Yeah, he, he was a fisherman all of his life. His identity, how many of you would say it's fair to say that Peter's identity was a fisherman? His father, Zebedee, was a fisherman. I bet Zebedee's father, Hubedee, was a fisherman, and then Hubedee's father, Wadabee, was a fisherman, right? 
And so they were all fishermen. And so we know that Peter's, his, his, we call that his, his nature identity was a fisherman. He was nurtured as a and so that's what we have. Your identity, who you are with self in the center, being self-protected. You've been, your nature is a certain way. You know, you, you got it from your mama. You got it from your daddy. You know, and then it was, it was reinforced through your nurturing, however nurturing was accomplished. So you are who you are today by a whole series of other people's input in your life, their choices, and then, and then a combination of your choices. So here we have Peter, and he said, Jesus said, Peter, you're a fisherman. So he starts right where he's at. Isn't that funny? Henceforth, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He understood fishing. Jesus took fish out and put men in. And so he began to follow him. And we see that context. And then we move along. And what did, Je- what did Peter do when he failed Jesus? He said, I'm going fishing. And do you see who all went with him? Everybody. <laughs> you know, several. Well, Peter's going fishing. We're going fishing. Your life impacts so many people. See, well, that's one of the things. When you wreck, when you don't go for gold and your, your ship of Tarsus wrecks at Ebon Gezer, the land of the rooster, you take a lot of people with you. There's a lot of, there's, there's your kids. Ministries, this is always terrible when ministers fail. They do, and some people get so disillusioned by that. All because, always you can track it back to the same thing, self at the center. Always, self at the center. And so we see that in our life. And so here we have Peter, and he's done what humanity does. They go back fishing. And then Jesus reinstates him, and he says this in John 21. Now, I want you to hear this because I want you to get the context for it. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And he asked him that there. He said, that term love there, he said, do you agape me? Agape is God's love. Do you agape me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I, he answered, phileo, you. I brotherly love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love... It's funny that he put son of John. We've already talked about Where did he get his fisherman identity? And now what's he telling him to do? Feed my lambs. Let's keep going. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I phileo you. He said to him, take care of my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? I think that was phileo me. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. Yes, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So we see there, it's interesting to me, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter learned a lesson about identity that was recorded for us to learn as well. Peter identified himself as brave, right? He said, I will die for you. This is who I am, Peter said. Here's my identity. He had a self-proclaimed identity. I am brave. No, you aren't. 
Self is never brave. Self is self-protecting. I am brave. This is who I am. This is his version of himself. I de- he, Peter says, I decide who I am. But the reality was he was a coward. The problem is this. The version, this version of establishing our identity, of us deciding who we are, it, the quality of our performance becomes the measure of our worth. Right? If you decide who you are, then the quality of your performance under who you are becomes the measure of your worth. So Peter had identified himself based on how well he loved Jesus. Peter said, my identity of you is based on how well I love you, and I will perform according to how well I love you. And he became an obvious failure based on his love for God. Are y'all following me? I'm standing my notes because I have to do this or I'll never convey it right. So what we have here is he had a life that was anthropocentric. And what is that? Self at the center. But God was trying to move him to a, a it's called, what is it? Mm, I always say it all the time, but I've lost. A, a theopocentric, where we have God at the center of his life, or Christocentric. So Jesus was reorienting Peter in his identity. Our identity is based on how well, not that we love him. Our identity must be based on, are y'all ready for it? How well he loves us. Now, see that you're saying, well, duh. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. See, if your identity is based on how well you love him, at the place of failure, you always fall out. And then you say, I'm going fishing. And you check out. And then you, you camp out at the land where the rooster crows for 10 or 12 years. And some people have been there for 100 years. You see what I'm saying? And then you finally go, oh, we'll get back in. And it has to change. At some point, our identity has to change from how well we love him and everything we do and who we are and all that we have and all that we will be and how this day is based and every decision I make has to be based on how well he loves me. And what happened in that, we come to the place where I am who I am, as Paul says, but by the grace of God. I am loved. That's hard for people to say. I am loved. I have always been loved. John 3.16 tells me that. I am accepted because of the cross. See, I've always been loved. I was only accepted when I came to the cross. And that's where my acceptance came from. So 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. God created Christ as I should have been treated. He treated Christ the way I should have been treated, and he accepts me. So he says, Peter, because I love you, you will do what I have called you to do. My identity is fully formed in Christ. Who I am is who I am because of his love for me. So when I feel condemned, and this is a problem, this is a pro- right here's where people shipwreck. Condemnation and self go together hand in hand. So when I feel condemned, it's not true. He loves me. 
This is the foundational basis of my identity. I only receive. I only receive. I do not achieve. Now, when we look at that, it's so hard for us to grab hold of that because our identity may not be fully formed in the love of God for us, but based on our ability to perform. I hear people say this a lot at the close of their life. I don't hear it, but Mike comes back and tells me. I mean, he's sat by the bedside of so many people dying. It's a common place for him. That's, that's the gig of a pastor. He watches them take their last breath. He watches them the weeks before they die. He, he's the, he might be the very last person who actually talks to them before they cross. And he stood, he stood in the room with people so many times. And a few times he's had a sad conversation with people. And it's this one. And it seems to be men that say this. It is. I think biologically we're just predisposed to certain attitudes. They will say this. I hope I've done enough to make it. I hope I've done enough to make it. And I, I wonder, so that's what I'm trying to crash today. Is that drive in you that says my performance is based on how well I love him? And at the end of the day, when, you're, when the number two pencil's coming out and you're drawing the line and taking the totals, what time is it, y'all? Oh, we're good. When we're drawing the line and taking the totals, I hope that our assessment of our worth of heaven and eternity is not based on I hope I have done enough to support my claim to enter into his gates. See, Jesus said that. In that day, he said, many of me will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And what do they bring forward as their supporting information for why they deserve heaven? What they did. My entrance into heaven... My entrance into abundant life only comes because Christ has fully and totally loved me enough to make a way where I could be fully and totally accepted. And it has nothing to do with me. His love has brought that. My identity is not based on my love for him, but my identity is based on his love for me. Peter, this could be the conversation that Peter had that day. Peter could say, Lord, I'm a fisherman. And Jesus says, Peter, you're a shepherd. And Peter says, no, Lord, my identity, my father taught me to fish. And Jesus said, my love has positioned you to shepherd. So, I define your identity, Jesus said. Who you are is mine. I am beloved because he is mine. How could you fail? How could you fail? You could fail by forging your own identity on the basis of how well you love Jesus instead of how well he loves you. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love 
because he first loved us. I'm secure in my identity in Christ. What's, what shall separate me from what? The love of God. Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall coronavirus? That's the modern 2020 version. Shall anything, shall height, shall depth, shall any other creature separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus, who gave his, he who gave his only son, how will he not also freely give us all things, but he will never, ever, 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 ever undermine the value of Christ's sacrifice by pretending for one moment that anything that you offer him is efficacious enough to substantiate any life of worth. It's all Jesus. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. Great things he has done. He changed my identity, not because of my ability to love him, but because of his ability to love me. He took his agape. And Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God. What did he do? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. This, it's not, this is what I believe. I don't believe that, that the, the, what is the word? That the test, I'll use that, that the test for you receiving the Holy Spirit should be speaking in tongues. I've seen mean people speak in tongues. The test for you having the Holy Spirit operating your life should be one thing and one thing only. Love. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. That word for love there is what? Do you know? The love of God. It's agape. So when you're reading, I mean, how many times, how many, many times have I listened to a wedding go forth and they read what? First Corinthians, is it first or second? Second Corinthians 13? First Corinthians 13. See, y'all know it better than me. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not brag. Love does not boast. And they stand there before that significant other pretending they have no idea that they're saying uh, every time agape 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 and they pretend that they're going to walk into a, a marriage relationship and agape without the holy ghost friend you're not going to agape without the holy ghost you might phileo you might eros and there's another one that i can't remember for love, but you won't agape. See, that's his love. See, that's what the Holy Spirit, I believe the greatest ministry of the Holy Spirit is that Romans 5, where's it at? Love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I want to, I just, I don't know if y'all believe me. The first time there's a denial of Christ with Peter. This is, this is great. Wait, this is great because I said it. This is great. Okay. Jesus looked into Peter's future the first time, didn't he? And he gave him a word. And what was that word? He looked into his future the second time. He said the first time he looked into his future, he said, Peter, based on your love, based on your love, you're going to deny me. And he looked into his future the second time and he said, based on my love, you're going to deny self. He said, 
How is he going to do this? It's through the Holy Spirit's work, leading and teaching and training and coaching and interceding and investing his love into our heart. God's love and self are like oil and water. Do y'all believe that? You shake it and kind of get a weird cloudy mixture, but set it down and what happens? It's not compatible. I wish that I could just hand you a peel. You know what I mean? I'd be a billionaire, cajillionaire. I could just hand you a peel that would evaporate self from your life. But I can't. It is a process. And it's a process of learning the lessons that the Holy Spirit is teaching you and coming under the, the teaching of the Lord in our life and becoming secure in our identity of who we are in Christ. I am loved. I am accepted. I am in Christ. I can do and be and believe for all that he has for me. If he, I might have been born a fisherman, but he's made me a shepherd by his love. He is in charge of your life. Why is it so hard to hate those that hate him? That's what the psalmist said in 139. Lord, do I not hate those who hate you? Now, instantly when I say that, that, that starts to perplex people, doesn't it? But we're not supposed to hate. Lord, I think my boss hates you. And I hate him. Lord, I think my husband hates you. I think so. So I hate him. That's not what it's saying, is it? I hate those who hate you. Who hates God? Every enemy of the cross. Pride hates God. Self hates God. Every compromise hates God. Disobedience hates God. Stubbornness hates God. And Lord, I hate them. I hate those who hate you. Do I not hate those who hate you? Self hates God. You don't believe me? It says in Romans what? That in the flesh, there's the flesh and the spirit, and these two are what to each other? In hostility to each other? So that one cannot be submitted to the other. And it says neither indeed they can't be. They can never be. You're never going to get your flesh improved to the place where God accepts it. The only thing for flesh is death. The only thing for self is moving outside. And a life that's centered on Christ is a life of wholeness. So that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. So injustice hates that. That's around me. And where all of those, you know, you know who will befriend all of those things? Your carnal nature. Ah. Uh. That's it. Then we have moved ourselves to an enemy of God. See, this is, this is significant here. This is significant to look at. But what we look at is the life of the Spirit. The Spirit is moving us into, he's developing that love of God, that agape in our heart, so that we move with compassion and we move in acceptance and we move in wholeness and we, we shatter these old identities identity crisis and we come to the place of self-actualization where we know who we are because we know who he is in us and we know how this works and we don't like I said we don't aim at holiness we we aim at being accepted at accepting his acceptance and I hit holiness every time because that's what happens in my life and condemnation comes along and another as we close another vocabulary word the Lord gave me it was um exculpatory evidence yeah, yeah, the, y'all don't know how my brain works. I'm just, for d- probably two or three weeks, I'm just like walking around, I'm cleaning the house, or I'm doing every, or I'm at Walmart, and that phrase will come to my head, exculpatory evidence. Exculpatory evidence. I mean, I'm telling y'all, the Lord does this to me all the time. He told me one day he wanted me to delete Facebook off my phone because he was tired of my gainsaying. My gains? Yeah, that's what I said. You're tired of my what? <laughs> Lord, I'm going to have to look that up. And I looked up gainsaying. It's weighing in on issues and getting my, I was like, ooh, Lord. See, he used his words. I don't know to teach me, and then I know it's him because I didn't have that. You see what I'm saying? So he said this, this week, it was all, oh, past two or three weeks, it was exculpatory evidence, exculpatory evidence. I was like, finally, one night before bed, I was sitting on the couch, and I was getting up to go take a shower, and it was exculpatory evidence. I was like, okay, exculpatory evidence. I looked it up. It is evidence in a trial that completely exonerates a person. Yeah, so here, I was like, well, that's pretty cool, Lord. So what does that mean? And as I began to meditate on that, the Lord began to show me that condemnation comes into the courtroom to accuse you. And Jesus comes in with the exculpatory evidence of his blood. And this is one thing about it. You can only have one in the courtroom or the other. You make a choice at that moment to either throw out condemnation and go free, or you throw out the exculpatory evidence and you live condemned. You can't have both together. Isn't that good? So if somebody comes in, I mean, we have law enforcement. You have to do everything with all going to trial in mind, don't you? So if you come in and so-and-so's there and there's a DNA is exculpatory evidence. Comes in and you committed this crime. We found DNA, but you come and you produce DNA. That's not my DNA. Right? That's exculpatory. It completely exonerates that person from being there and committing the crime. So if the exculpatory evidence is thrown out, then what remains? The condemnation. If the exculpatory evidence is entered, then the condemnation is gone. Do you see? It's, it's binary. It's one of the... Jesus' blood. When condom, I want you to do this. When condemnation comes to you and you're basing your performance on your love for God, that's what condemnation does. 
you say, oh, no. The exculpatory evidence has just entered into the court record, and that is the blood of Jesus. And I have been exonerated because, not because I love him, but because he loves me. Therefore, I am a child of God. I don't base my performance on some withered identity of a carnal nature, always grasping for what the world says I can or cannot have, protecting myself and crashing just short of the gold. But instead, I believe I am who he says I am. I can do what he says I can do, and I can have what he says I can have, all based on his love for me. And there we have it. The exculpatory evidence has entered the courtroom today, and you are free to go. Now, Letha, we won't think less of you if you wear your hocus to church. Yeah.